Welcome to Wisdom A to H, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you? Who are so wise? I recently read Michael Reeves' book, Rejoice and Tremble, The Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. It's a very good book and it's well worth a read. And the reason for reading this book is that I've always had some difficulty sorting out what the doctrine of the fear of the Lord was really all about. I've long wondered what the writers of the Old and New Testaments meant by the fear of the Lord. It's a recurring theme in both Testaments and it seems to be a primary principle for the Christian life. Though, for example, Christians are told to be perfect in holiness in the fear, or, or are told to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. We are to walk in the fear of the Lord. We are to persuade people about Christ, knowing the fear of the Lord. One of the most puzzling scriptures to me is one from the Old Testament prophet Samuel, who rebuked the people of God when they demanded a king. God was angry, and so was Samuel, and he warned the people to fear the Lord. Uh, here's the story from 1 Samuel 12. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who, you, uh, who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. And so Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that very day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask of ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, don't fear. You have done all this evil Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord your God with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. and. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Now, what we learn from this is very many things, but I want to point out just two. The fear of the Lord means to obey him and not rebel against his commandments. And the second thing that really caught my attention was that at the beginning of this, this sermon or this, this speech of Samuel's, he says, 
that they should fear the Lord and serve him and obey him. They were right to be fearful of the Lord, but not to be afraid of the Lord, even though they had done something evil and picking by, by picking someone to be king over them instead of God. And at the very end, Samuel says to them that they should fear the Lord. It almost sounds like Samuel is saying, don't fear the Lord, but fear the Lord. Now, I found this puzzling and confusing and Reeves' book helped me figure it out. And it led me to three other resources that helped me to sort out this teaching about the fear of the Lord. One was a sermon by Charles uh, Spurgeon called A Fear to Be Desired, and two Puritan works, one by John Bunyan called The Fear of God, and the other one by John Flavel called A Practical Treatise of Fear. Now, Spurgeon gets right to the point with the definition what is this fear of God? He says, I answer, first, it is a sense of the awe of his greatness. Spurgeon then asks if there was ever a time where you considered the great works of nature, for example, staring out at the ocean or looking up at the night sky with its innumerable stars, or standing in a thunderstorm and seeing the lightning flashes and uh, hearing the sound of the thunder. You're not really afraid but he said he was full of delight when that happened, like a child who rejoices to see his father's wealth, his father's wisdom, his father's power, happy and at home, but feeling oh so little. There are three senses and two effects in this idea of the fear of the Lord. The sense of natural fear that we feel when we're threatened and, and we want to run from danger. Now that's a healthy fear. We, we want to uh, put as great a distance between us and our, and our loved ones and the threat of evil that might be confronting us or coming our way. The second kind of fear is a sinful fear for a Christian. It's the kind of fear that springs from unbelief and distrust of God. We don't think that God will help us in the face of something hugely challenging. And so we get anxious, we, we get worried, and, and we try to figure out a way to avoid this situation. We turn away from our reliance um, on the security of God's promises, and then we do things in our own strength. We put our trust in our jobs, or our expertise, or our, our spouses. But there's never any peace or confidence that comes from that. In fact, Flavel writes, to trust in any creature as if it had the power of God to help us, or to fear any creature as if it had the power of God to hurt us, is exceedingly sinful and highly provoking to God. This inordinate trust is taxed and condemned. And then Flavel quotes Isaiah 31 verse three. There is an important principle here for all believers. Israel was under the threat of a foreign power and instead of crying out to God, Israel decided it would engage in an alliance with Egypt as its best defense. But through the prophet Isaiah, God rebuked them and he warned his people what would take place if they pursued that policy. The Egyptians are mere mortals, God said. They're not God, their horses are flesh, and they're not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble, and those who are helped will fall. All will perish together. A sinful fear in the Christian is that which motivates us to look to people, or things, or jobs, or whatever, to defend us from the challenges of life. However, there's a third kind of fear, and that's a godly fear. 
And all the writers that I mentioned called it filial fear, the kind of fear that a child has for his or her father. When the thunderstorms in Minnesota got really wild in the middle of the night, do you know who we found in bed with us under the covers? Our two daughters. They ran from their rooms and they ran into our bedroom, jumped into the bed. They didn't go to the basement, they came to us. That's filial fear. John Bunyan drills down into the scriptures and, and like a miner for gold, he brings up so many good chunks of truth about filial fear. We don't have the time to go all uh, to, to, for all of what Bunyan said. And so I just want to encourage you to go to on, the, the online places where you can find his book. Uh, we'll put those web addresses up uh, for you, uh, all three of them, and, and all of those are uh, free um, downloads. But the first thing to know is that filial fear is called God's treasure in Isaiah 33, 6. It's one of his rare and choice jewels, Isaiah says. For the believer, filial fear is what gives us hope and courage to obey the Lord, especially in times of affliction or prosperity. This filial fear is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge that teaches us to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. Fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that continually supplies our souls with a variety of graces when we need them the most. So where does this fear originate in believers? It flows from a new heart given to us through the power of the gospel applied by the Holy Spirit. It comes from God's word as we drink in its good doctrine. We learn more about God and we learn to fear him as a child does his or her loving father. This godly fear flows from a sense of God's love and kindness to us. As we reflect on our lives before Christ and what God has done for us in Christ, we can rejoice that we've been delivered from our former sins and former fears and slavish bondage to those fears. Filial fear is a healthy, God-exalting, Christ-centered, spirit-taught reverence for God. And in all of life, we see our actions as in God's presence. Bunyan wrote, godly fear produces a godly tenderness of God's glory in the world and we are able to give God the glory that's due his name. There is so much to know and learn and practice in the fear of the Lord. Uh, so here's where you can find Spurgeon's sermon and uh, Bunyan's and Flavel's works. None of them are particularly long. Um, and if you, can't, if you can't read all three, at least read Spurgeon's A Fear to Be Desired. It is excellent. Well, I'll close with Spurgeon's clo closing statement from that sermon. He said this, quote, May God grant to every one of us the grace to believe in Jesus and to rest in him and then to walk in the fear of the Lord all our days for Christ's sake, amen. You be of good cheer.